Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your great name. Father, we thank you that you have created us. Father, we thank you that you came to this earth, that you lived and you died and you rose again as an expression of your love for us. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we're here today to worship you and to hear from you. So, Father, as we start this new year and we consider what you have for us, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, not what I have to say, but what you would have to say to each one here today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the beginning of every year, and Rick has even alluded to that, we get to hear a lot about New Year's resolutions. We get to hear about how many people fail and how quickly they fail. And I even saw a statement, 100 million Americans will drop their New Year's resolution by February. And I just realized I'm going to pause a second. I didn't dismiss the children for Children's Church, so you're free to go. Thank you. So by implication of so many people failing or not completing them, tells us that we have a lot of good intentions for our resolutions, but many of us simply just don't achieve them. Despite all the hype, we still love the fact that the new year is an opportunity for us to wipe the slate clean, to lose that 10, 20, 30 pounds, commit to daily devotions, win more games, train harder, pray more faithfully, spend more time with family, pay off bills, raise our grades, maybe even share Christ with our family or teammates. The reality is that many of these resolutions may not come to reality. So one solution that's been proposed is to strip it all away and boil it down to one word. So for the upcoming year, you just make it basic and simple. And this solution is becoming more and more popular, and I think it has some merit, and it's just called one word. So if you're like me, you've done your fair share of goal setting and starting each new year focusing on too many things, trying to achieve too much, only to become discouraged as we fall away from our ambitious plans. But this idea of one word, it's not a phrase or a statement, just a single word. By focusing on this word, this idea can help you to Uh, experience uh, life change in a focused way as you discover your one word and it serves to guide you all year long as as it gives you clarity. It becomes your theme for the year. And But there's a process to that. I mean, we want to discover our one word by considering what has God been telling us this last year? What areas does God want to take hold of in your life and use for His glory? And how does God want to position you for the upcoming year? 
So as you go through the process to discover what your one word will be, ask God to reveal to you what that theme is for the year. Listen to His voice, and you can discover a God word. Not just a good word, but a God word. And so this process involves preparing your heart, getting alone with Him, letting Him examine your heart, and pray and ask Him, what does He want to do in and through you in this coming year? Once you discover that, then it's time to live it out. And this word will impact all areas of your life, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational, maybe even financial. This one word could be a character trait, could be a discipline, a spiritual focus, an attribute, or a value. It could be love, joy, peace. It could be prayer. It could be devotion. It could be discipline. It could be commitment, anchor, inspire, purity, integrity. These are just examples. But maybe this word might help stretch you out of your comfort zone. So living out your word in 2018 can keep you focused and hopefully prevent you from being distracted. I recall Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3 and leaders are coming to distract him and they're wanting him to come down from the wall and have a meeting and, uh, and he did not come down from his work because he was doing the one thing that he committed to do, which was build the wall, and he said, because he's doing a great work. So when you live your word, your God word, you are doing a great work. And the proponents of this word say that it's important to keep it posted in a prominent place, to share it with your family and friends, and these two simple things will help to ensure your growth if you keep it front and center. Post it where you'll see it on your mirror, on your refrigerator, put it on your steering wheel, talk about it with your family at the dinner table, study God's Word with this Word in mind to help keep it in focus and fresh. So ask the Lord to help you use this one Word for the glory of God. So I've endeavored to do that. And as I have sought the Lord. Um, My one word for 2018 is disciple. As a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus calls every believer to follow Him. And the disciple is a learner. He's an apprentice who follows the Master by learning and doing. A disciple of Jesus follows Him, is being changed by Him, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So in the year 2018, I believe that God is calling me to focus on being more of a disciple for Him with greater purpose and intentionality. But as God has impacted me with this theme, and as I've been studying what a disciple is, I believe that God's calling the church, every believer, to be about following Him, to be changed by Him, and to be committed to the mission that He has given every believer. I'm convinced that God wants each one of us to be His disciple, fulfilling His calling on our lives.
And so now today, or this year, each one of you can be my accountability partner as I focus on the topic of being a disciple. And it's about growing in Him and helping others to grow in Him. So that leads me to our, my passage today in Matthew chapter 28, where we see the Great Commission is given to every believer. And Jesus delegates to the disciples His mission. He gives them the power to carry it out. And He tells us what He intends every follower Every learner, adherent, every believer, what we are to be doing. So as we turn to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, at the beginning of this chapter, we have the resurrection scene at the empty tomb, and the angel appears to Mary. And the message that the angel tells Mary in verse 6 says, He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. And so then in verse 16, the disciples are now in Galilee, and Jesus meets them there just as he said. And so the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every believer's calling comes from the Great Commission to multiply disciples. And in this Great Commission calling that every believer has, we're going to look at our first point is the author of the calling. Who is this that can place a call on your life, a claim on your life with an expectation that you will not only love Him, you will serve Him, and then you will multiply more followers of Him? I mean, what, think about this scene here. Even though they traveled to Galilee in obedience to Jesus' instruction when He appears before them, I mean, this was an important meeting. This is the resurrected Jesus standing before them. Three years ago, He called them to follow. In Matthew 4.19, He says, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything, and they followed Him. What an incredible journey that they had been on as they followed Him for three years. Learning from Him, He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to be evangelists. He taught them to love the Lord their God with everything that they have. And now Jesus, His message to them is to commission them to go into all the world making disciples. And so it's an important note to realize that this mission hasn't changed. This is the same mission He gave the nation of Israel. This isn't a new mission. The nation of Israel was called to be the light to the nations, and we are called to be a light to the world. Turn back briefly to Isaiah 42. 
Isaiah 42, verse 5. He says, this is what God, the Lord, who created the heavens and He stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. This is what the Lord says, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you. I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. In order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness and from the prison house, I am the Lord. That is my name. And if we would go a few chapters to a a few... uh, Chapters, yeah, to 49, verse 6, he says that uh, you are a light to the nations to bring my salvation to the earth. God, the creator of heaven and earth, he gives you breath and he gives us his spirit. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I have appointed you to be a light to the nations. This is the same call that Jesus now gives his disciples. And in the other Gospels, Mark 16, 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus, who is the light of the world, who tells us that we are to be a light to the nations. In John, he says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In Luke He says, repentance for forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Where's your Jerusalem? He tells us in Acts that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses where you are and to ever-widening circles to the end of the earth. And so Jesus came to this earth His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He lived and died and rose again. He claims to be God. He demonstrates he's God. And then he says he's going to rise again. And now the author of the call on your life declares his authority. So we get to verse 18 of back in Matthew. Jesus came near and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has the right to give this call. And it's quite a declaration. We read in Hebrews that God appointed him heir of all things and the universe is made through him. And that by his authority, he has the right to affect control of objects, of individuals, or events. And human authority can only be delegated, but God's authority arises out of himself alone, out of who he is. Jesus taught as one who had authority, and he states that his words will never pass away. He has authority to forgive sins. While the disciples are are with him, he delegates his authority. He enables the disciples to duplicate his deeds, to preach, to do powerful acts in his name. And Jesus also has authority because He is the Son of the Father. The Father has given Him authority over all mankind. 
including the authority to give eternal life. So we see where Jesus has authority to raise the dead. In fact, He is the resurrection and the life. And just as He claimed, He's now standing in front of the disciples demonstrating that. And so this claim of all authority that been, has been given to Him is far-reaching and powerful. So by implication, Jesus who has the power to judge, who forgives your sin, and He gives us uh, His Spirit to dwell within us, He gives us eternal life, He certainly has the power to put a claim on your life because He redeems you from the pit of hell, and He now says with all authority He is calling you to follow Him. This is who the author of the calling is. He is the Lord. And in Psalm it says, "Is the Lord who redeems the life of His servants. So the author of our calling is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He commands His people, and He has the right and the power to place a call on your life. He's redeemed you to be His possession. He is the author of our calling. Now let's look at our second point. Second point is the call. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples of all nations. Call is to go, and it's an active call. This is not a one and done. This is an all-encompassing call on your life, and it is a lifelong call. It means, in the tense in the Greek, as you are going, making disciples. So it's not a call to fill your head with knowledge alone. It's not a call to be passive. It's not a call to be taken lightly. Jesus calls His followers, those that He redeems, to be His own possession, to follow Him. He redeemed you for Himself, and you are not your own. You've been bought with the price of the cross. And He now says, go, preach the gospel, be a light to the world, bring my redemption plan to the whole world, the nations. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. No one would take a light and hide it under a bushel, but rather you put it up on a lampstand for all the world to see. And he says, you are the light of the world. Go. Go. Now there are some things to realize that he did not say. He did not say that it's required to be paid full time in the ministry. He did not say that you have to be a missionary to go overseas. I love the fact that we are a mission-sending church. It's one of the things that, uh, that I love about this church. And I love that we like to share that with everybody and bring people up and, and see what He is doing throughout the world. But I fear that sometimes that may signal that you're not really serving the Lord unless you are full-time in the ministry. If you've ever thought that, I have in the past, if you've ever thought that, that's wrong. Because God calls every one of us to be about going. It's not the pastor's job to disciple every person that comes to the church. 
It's not the Sunday school teacher's job to disciple everyone that may come to their class. Jesus didn't say to professionalize the ministry. Pastor, teacher, missionary, these are good and noble callings. But Jesus calls each one of us to go and make disciples of all nations. Not to sit back and watch someone else. Our calling, your calling, is to go and make disciples. So how do we do that? This means that as you are going, where you are, be about the task of making disciples. It carries with it an intentional focus, an activity that we are to be being about. Jesus called to follow him. His call to follow him is an element of spending time with him. There has an element of hanging out with him. We see his example with the disciples as he walked on this earth, but we also see in the Gospels how he fulfilled his mission with intentionality. He told his parents, I must be about my father's business. And that is our call to go and make disciples as we are going. Be intentional about it. Jesus is the author of the call who has all authority And his call is to go and make disciples. And our third point then is the specifics of the call. To make disciples. To do that reflects the process of disciple making. It's telling other people about Jesus and calling them to follow him as well. In verse 19 and 20, he goes on to say, he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teach them to obey all that I commanded. First, he says, to baptize. The first step of all those who choose to follow Jesus have been people who have been transformed by His Spirit to identify with Christ through baptism. Just as Jesus was buried in the earth and raised into new life, so the Christian is buried under the water in baptism and brought up again as a symbol of this new life he has received. This baptism initiates the new believer into Christ's church where he or she becomes a member of the local body. And this initial step is non-negotiable. It's a command of Jesus, and we should consider it a privilege to identify with him and his people in baptism. So why would you put your trust in an amazingly gracious Savior and not want to identify with him? I've seen how people will go to great lengths to be baptized, I've seen people baptized in lakes and rivers and ponds and water troughs and uh, swimming pools. I was baptized in a swimming pool. Not every church has baptismals. This past fall, I read an article with the Philadelphia Eagles, and there were several uh, players on that team who came to faith in Christ, and they were all gathered around a pool to be baptized, declaring that they are now following Jesus. They've died to their old way of life and now have a new resurrected 
life in Christ. But it doesn't, Jesus doesn't just stop there with baptism. He says, teach them. And one result that we have of His command to teach others to obey all that He commanded is the New Testament itself. The gospel accounts and the letters are written to believers in various churches in order to tell them more clearly who Jesus was and deliver ongoing instructions on living as followers of Christ. Now salvation is not like receiving a train ticket where once you get on the train you put the ticket in your pocket and you forget about it. But rather it's more like a marriage. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ where we become part of the family, the church. And the Christian life is a process of better understanding what Jesus taught, learning to apply that teaching in our everyday lives, and then teaching others. So to be a follower of Jesus means you are a disciple of Jesus. Someone who is following Him, you're being changed by Him, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Your identity now is a disciple. It is who you are. So I have a question. This is rhetorical for you to consider. Are you, as a Christian, are you committing or are you contributing? So a hog and a hen, they share the same barnyard and they hear about this church's program to feed the hungry. And they discuss how they could help. And the hen says, well, hey, I've got it. We can provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. And the hog thinks, hey, that's a pretty good suggestion. But he said, oh, there's one problem with that. It only requires you to make a contribution. For me, it means total commitment. And that is the cost of discipleship. Total commitment. Jesus places a call on your life to follow Him. He commissions you to go and make disciples. And this is a total life commitment. It's not a contribution. It's a commitment. Jesus' commission to the disciples to baptize and teach others is a responsibility for all of us. As followers of Jesus, we've been given this responsibility to teach others. We are to be a disciple who disciples. It becomes who we are. To live as a disciple requires us to live, to be humbly dependent on the Lord as we follow Him, to live intentionally investing in others' lives. And this commission that Jesus gave us to follow, it's His plan that He modeled for us, and that He has given us the responsibility to carry it out. So we've seen Jesus, who's the author, who calls us to make disciples. He tells us what to do, baptizing and teaching them all of His commands. And our fourth point here is, He gives us the power to accomplish the task. If the Great Commission sounds impossible, it's because it is in your own strength. And as daunting as the task to make disciples of all nations would be by itself, we also face serious opposition. 
Satan, the world, and even our own sinful desires fight against our growth in the Christian life and the advance of the gospel. And Paul warned us in, uh, <clears throat> that we would experience persecution even in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So even today, Christians around the world are being persecuted, they're being beaten, and even put to death for identifying with Jesus. So we're mistaken if we think that our message will be warmly received all the time. Because it won't be. But while that opposition is real and it's intimidating and the task seems enormous, Jesus' final words in the Great Commission should give each one of us courage when He says, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, who has just been raised from the dead, who has all authority on heaven and on earth, and He has given this tremendous promise that will not fail. And he means those who are surrendered to him and following him now have the power within them. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus' very presence is promised to us. So we need not be afraid. Imagine how fearless you could be if you saw Jesus, the Son of God, standing next to you, right by your side. He promises to be with us. Remember that God's plan has never wavered, and His ultimate victory is with Him is certain. So after telling His disciples to go and make disciples, He gives them the power to accomplish it, and now we need to have God's power carry out the gospel and share it everywhere we go. And it's only God's power that can transform us from rebels into disciples. So as we conclude today, Jesus did what needed to be done in order to reconcile humanity to God so that all who believe in Jesus will be saved. We've been called to carry that message to the ends of the earth starting where you are in your Jerusalem. You are co-laborers with Him. We are ambassadors for Him. And we are to carry the good news of what He has done to the ends of the earth. So just as in the creation mandate when He says, be fruitful and multiply, our spiritual mandate is be fruitful and multiply. It's God's plan, it's His design to have His disciples multiplying themselves as they go through the world, proclaiming His name. God chose to fulfill His purpose on earth through His church, and His plan of redemption includes you. It includes your life. So the big idea for today is every believer's calling is to be a disciple who disciples. Every believer's calling is to be a disciple who disciples. So that is my goal for this year, to be focused on being a 
more of a disciple, with more intentionality as I go throughout my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. And Father, how could we just walk away and treat it casually when you have done so much for us that you are everything to us? And yet in our sin and in our selfishness, we have times that we turn our back on you. Well, there are times that we just are lazadaisical about our faith in you. So, Father, I pray that as we consider the word disciple and your call, the great commission that you've given each one of us, that you will strengthen us, that you will encourage us, that you will help us to be about the mission. You promised to be with us. You promised to be there. You are the one who will do all the work, and we just have to be your willing servants. So, Father, as we surrender ourselves to you, guide us and direct us in this coming year to be about the business of being disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.